founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. All right, founders, welcome back. Today, I'm sitting down with Alex Guastella, founder and CEO of Quicker Care. Alex has an extensive background in the healthcare industry and found a much needed solution to patient triage process during the COVID-19 pandemic. During a time when the ERs were emptied and many urgent care clinics shut down, Quicker Care used AI to help triage and guide care. On top of all of that, they volunteered their programming time to create a website to share verified COVID-19 facts and figures, release an app that uses geolocation technology to encourage proper social distancing and bought up relevant domain names related to the pandemic in order to keep them out of the wrong hands. Talk about a man on a mission, adapting and innovating at great speeds to help those in need. And to tell us all about his journey and quicker care, here today is Alex. So Alex, my new friend, let's get to it. Thank you for being here. No, thank you for having me. Well, we took a little bit of a stab at your story. And actually, from my research, we, we fast forwarded a little bit. We focused more on that the last you know two years uh, with the pandemic. Uh, but I believe this company was started a few years before that. So in your own words, where, where did this company come from? How did, how did this idea uh, come to be? Yeah, no, it was, it was quite simple. Uh, my my uh, co-founder and I um, had been in healthcare for quite some time. Um, we've been part of other companies that have either exited or, you know, obviously grew to be much bigger um, at, at certain points, left those, you know, you know, just, you know, amass a, a decent amount of, um, intelligence about, um, you know, access, um, and healthcare in general. And it kind of dawned on us that there was this kind of like pocket that was being dis discarded because it's, you know, expensive care, um, or possibly overused care. And we said, well, instead of calling it expensive or overused, why don't we just help with the routing process? Um, so patients can make better decisions. Um, and then on top of it, even make it easier where they, when they do get the better decision, they could, uh, um, avoid all the waits, um, uh, do all their full registration. And then, then the hospitals don't have to deal with, you know, the, the, um, the long wait times and, and the burden in the, in the, um, the ER or even urgent care sometimes. So that's how we became, came up with it, um, quite, uh, five years ago or so. Um, we, we actually expanded into some health systems very quickly, evolved the product, um, and then just kept growing amongst, um, the patient side. Um, and it just, we kept getting bigger and bigger. So. How long was it between initial idea and action that taking any kind of action that we're actually going to do this? So, I mean, it was like, it was literally three months. And then, and then we, we, we had like a little bit of a waiting game. Um, so we said, we'll build it to fail, um, which I think may sound crazy, but uh, we, we want, we only want to spend time on something that solves something and that the, there was a market for, right? Because if we could solve something, but if nobody was willing to pay for it, then there was kind of no purpose in doing it. Um, there's, you know, that's not really a business. Um, it's only half a business. So we obviously had purpose. We, we had something that was very easy to use for patients um, in the initial days and even currently today. Um, and so our, our, our first really six months after our MVP was launched, uh, we, we didn't charge any. We weren't looking to get any hostels. We were just trying to get patients to use it to find a location. So it was, it was only emergency rooms and urgent care facilities. And we said, as long as our, our um, triaging capabilities worked well enough that patients could make a decision um, and we get enough of those patients in a small period of time, 
we knew there was something to grow, but we didn't know what it was. We weren't sure. Um, and that's how we went into it. And we were like, we you know, Ragu was like, I'm not going to quit my job to, to not, not figure something out and, and want to have a really good purpose. And, you know, same here. And um, I don't want to say it was a safe bet in, it was the kind of the right for the two of us. And uh, yep. And then after that, we were, we were all in. So when did you just, at what point did you each decide this is time to quit our jobs and go all in on this? Um, I mean, it was that nine month point after we just had enough patient traction. I think we were um, at nine months. We, we got to roughly like, I don't know, 35,000 people had used this in one month um, to access a, a location. And, you know, that, that, that was good enough for me to say, I, I knew plenty of people in healthcare that I could get some pilot sites or whatever the case was. And so that's, I said, I'm, I'm done with what I'm doing, um, which for me, it was a little bit easier. Um, I was already, you know, it's kind of a, this is my fourth venture at this point. So I, I stopped advising companies and just advised myself <laughs> at that point and um, went out and, you know, drummed up some business, got some pilots and, and then Ragu came along shortly after. So, wow. How did you get the word out initially to those users in those first nine months to even know about your service? Uh, so, I mean, we, we just used a lot of the, the blog and tackle SEO methodologies. You know, we had, you know, 30,000 pagers or so. Um, so we just made those really efficient. Uh, we did some AdWords, you know, trying to, trying to um, just get some like little pockets where we knew we, we could convert people to actually use it. Um, and we kind of grew from there. Um, um, then we had um, a bunch of uh, uh, backlinking that we had, you know, invested into. Uh, and right when we got to that kind of critical mass point, we just, you know, we got rid of all the garbage at that point. And then we, we you know, hired a team that could help us uh, grow more efficiently. Um, and uh, yeah, it's kind of worked ever since. I'm curious about your philosophy around kind of MVP idea, you know, maybe with this company or the other companies that you've helped found and scale. Right. You know, a lot of traps that I see people fall into myself is included is building something out at right as you imagine it, trying to get it to its, you know, its infinite point of all sure. the use cases and it can do this and it can do that before you ever even release it and see if people like it. So sure. I, I'm curious at, at just kind of your experience with and thinking around getting to that just basic MVP of something. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, essentially, um, and I actually saw this a little bit as uh, a, an angel investor, um, you know, there's a, there's a whole ocean of features that, you know, startups say they solve for, but it takes them forever to get to kind of a quality product for each one of those features and, you know, you know, problems that they solve for that, that are in this one market. Right. So, you know, we, I looked at it as, you know, we, we do solve multiple problems inside of healthcare. Um, that's great. But our initial problem was let's just solve the one thing, which was getting a user to the right place. Right. That, that was it. We don't even know if they really got to the right place in those days. Um, it was just, they got to it. They went, they came through our platform. They ended up on the map, you know, and then that was it. But we at least knew that they spent more than so much time on the site. They interacted well, they went back and forth to other pages. And, and now that, that was more important. We, we just knew that that, that was kind of where we validated at least on the user side that it made sense. Um, and so for any other, anybody else with any other tech, um, say if, if you could break it down into, you know, whatever, however many columns or problems that you're solving and then start by one and then launch with that one, right? You're still going to keep building the other stuff um, if it's still needed, right? Because that one problem may be much bigger than you anticipated. Um, and I think 
I not always look at the market size either. Like I think we, you know, especially being in healthcare, everybody's got to, you know, they're impacting a $28 trillion uh, uh, market and it is what it is, but it really come to find out it's much smaller inside of a much bigger market. So um, I think as long as it's adaptable, um, then you're fine. So that's how I would approach it. I mean, it's a much more lean way. You don't have to raise a lot, a lot of money to be able to get it off the market um uh, get it out to market the only thing the only kind of caveat to that um or exception to that type of rule is if um you know at least in healthcare you're doing um you're doing something that needs to be more regulated um you know then you might need you know you have to do a little bit more block and tackle to be able to get your product to market or even get you know get um uh, scientific studies so those are your exceptions to the rule but you know that's not you know, 90% of what's out there. So. Sure. And again, we can broaden the conversation to other things that you've helped launch if, if helpful. Sure. Are there a few things that are, that you find most important to track and measure and make sure you're getting feedback on in the, the early days of releasing an MVP versus other things that you might be tempted to track that aren't as important in your mind? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it, again, all about what your product does. Um, you know, we're in a chicken and egg situation. We have two types of users. We have, you know, our customers actually pay for the service. And then we have the market, right? The marketplace where those pa patients are what tend to become patients. Um, they don't pay for it, but they use it, right? So um, we, we looked at it for us is to make sure that um, there are specific KPIs that matter to those, those users. Um, that would have them either come back or it was the reason why those users actually used us. Um, and so every, every industry will be different. I mean, for me, it's, you know, um, um, did it solve the problem that they were looking for? Um, you know, how much time did they spend? You know, so that, that kind of one of the, the KPIs that I mentioned before was like the length of stay on the platform. Um, that was very easy because if they were bouncing very quickly, then it was a nightmare. Um, but if they were looking at multiple locations, um, and we could see that over a course of like three months that, you know, we had 20% of our users actually looked at many, many locations. We, we were in a good position. Um, if we were at like 1%, we would keep re-engineering that part of the strategy to figure out why. Um, or, you know, at that point, you you either turn, the, turn to something else, right? Um, and so, uh, yeah, we just, you just have to kind of decide that as you're going to launch your MVP, what what type of tracking and data will help validate that your users are seeing value in that because you're not going to be able to speak to those users. I mean, you could try, um, like when we finally started to do the registration side of the business, which was our next step, uh, we could then after a patient, you know, registered and went on their visit, we could send reminders out to write a review, give us feedback, things like that. Then we just kind of made all our next features based on the feedback. Um, so it actually got easier and better to be able to do that. So the first, those, that first set is more assumptive. The second set is directly from the end user. So I'm curious in getting feedback, like when you mm -hmm. realize how important it is to get feedback from initial customers or target market or that kind of thing, what I found is that it's not actually as easy as it seems one to get them to actually give you feedback to take time in whatever way you're asking for it to provide feedback yeah. or two to even ask the right questions 
that like yeah. often we don't even really know the art of asking the question that's going to give us the most helpful response versus a bunch of generic stuff that you can't really make sense of or you know that kind of thing so i'm curious if mm. you found any anything that you feel has moved the needle on either of those two yeah i mean so kind of you know a what not to do a little bit um and and i didn't we didn't do that here i did it in the previous life you know paying for the for end user to give you honest feedback um even if it's paying through like a legitimate source that's more of a research um found that that was terrible um because it was always positive i mean like yeah there'll be some honest oh there was a bug here there whatever but everybody was very positive so it was too positive driven and i'm not trying to be a negative i want to know like where did we fail and it, you'll never get the full truth because they're getting ten dollars to Amazon or whatever. And uh, so I just we just avoided that here. Um, luckily for us, the feedback when we started doing feedback here, we were able to. And this is a little dangerous, but we were able to tie it a little bit right after a patient would write a review for like a facility. So we we did have that as kind of our our treasure. Um, the only downside is if they didn't have a good experience at the facility, then they would, you know they would be a little bit more harsh. Um, however, uh, and we'll always take that into good, good consideration, but if we looked at our, you know, people who had, you know, four and five star reviews for the facility and then their feedback, they would even come back and say, you know, there's a five-star review to the, to the urgent care, their feedback to us was like a three-star, that's just a generalization. Um, but the data, the data, the details that they would write to us would be fairly honest. Uh, we've even had like people write full paragraphs, like email us personally, like to support. And we're like, all right, well, it's a little overly done, but thank you. Um, and it was good because that those were your, like what we found to be the most honest. And we were able to find find things we didn't realize that people didn't care about or that they really needed. And, um, you know, once you get a decent amount of those, I mean, you know, luckily for us, we were able to convert a lot of people over to our customers. And um, so we were able to get feedback you know, within a few months, we were getting a lot of feedback. So, yeah. I'm going to stay on the question train because over the last few years, I feel like it's grown in appreciation in my mind, the ability to ask a good question. And yeah. one, being a podcast interviewer, but two, just, you know, realizing that the quality of the question often dictates the quality of the answer. And so mm -hmm. as someone who's both started several companies, as well as it sounds like invested in companies, yeah. are there good questions that you think to ask, whether it's your idea or you're listening to someone else's idea on the very early stages of something, probably in pre MVP that are sure. kind of good questions you like to ask yourself or others. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's very case by case scenario. Um, I think um, when I'm trying to figure out how good the software really is, or um, you know, I, I, a, we think about those questions very detailed wise. I tend not to try to, I mean, I don't think the open form answers are ever great. I think they sometimes can be good. Um, you'll see them at pitch events when startups are, you know, pitching to a smaller panel that's a little bit more intimate. You could be a little bit more like, what did you think of our product? You know, basically, and then people will, um, people will be, uh, you know, because that's a very controlled environment, right? So they'll be, you know, very detailed into their answer. However, um, with, you know, especially when you're trying to get a, a, like a much bigger mass amount of uh, answers, you know, one text question that would be more freehand writing, but still like small one paragraph, less than one paragraph and kind of guide them to what you want them to review. So like, what did you think of the checkout process or what did you, did you find the color scheme of the platform 
to be X, Y, and Z. And so like what we've done here and I did it previous life um, and I've done it as an angel, you know, I would ask even founders, you know, do you feel like your logo, you know, this is always like something whenever there's like an icon that doesn't make sense to the logo of the brand and what they're trying to do. I would always say, do you feel like that helps or hurts you and why? And like, it was like the most basic, dumbest, probably questions that like dumbed down type of question you could ask. Cause it's nothing to do with the product, especially for an early startup. Um, however, I'm not a branding expert. I hire somebody to do that for me. Um, branding's not always the most valuable thing depending on what your software is, but it's definitely always valuable in some capacity. Um, and so by asking that, it makes the founder think like, are they confused what we do? Because they're looking at a logo, they just saw the pitch and they're not sure at what I do still. And sometimes it's literally your logo throwing everybody off yeah, and, yeah. and it's killing your whole pitch. So I, I like that. That's really good. Yeah. yeah that's um, my thought. With, with this particular company, yeah. anything surprise you? I'm going to start off with this and the answer is no, that's fine. I'll go to a different question, but you've built several successful businesses. Did anything surprise you about building this one? Uh, I mean, we definitely had some, probably some surprises we were a little shocked by. Um, I, I think uh, here, uh, you know, given, you know, one thing that did surprise me was the amount of education I had to like kind of rewind back to, you know, being able to acquire, especially our earlier customers, which is always something you're going to do starting a business. If you're, especially if you're selling like to enterprises, um, you're doing a lot of educating on what you do and how you, what, what you impact. And, um, you know, it, 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 you have a set of data that you use to validate that there's a market, right? That could be through research from, you know, like medical journals and, and whatnot. And that's what we tend to do. Um, I was surprised at how many, how often we got that those are not real. You know, we got the, the feedback of, yeah, that's from one research. I've seen something totally different. Right, and, right. you know, I get that. Um, and data we tend not to, I try not to try to quote something that doesn't have any good data behind it. Like if it's like, oh, the data set was 10 people, like, all right, well, um, are you talking about like a rare disease or what are we talking about? Because um, that's too small, right? Um, and so I was a little shocked to see that going into this because I was like, well, that's not what the general consensus is, but you know, who, who am I? I'm not running a hospital. So it's, you know. How do, how do you handle that? If you feel like they're fundamentally disagreeing with some data that you believe in? Uh, so one I tend to look at is, can this person even say yes? Because like if, they, if they're disagreeing, it usually means because they're just not interested. Um, and A, I have to ask myself, you know, is this the right person anyways? Um, B, can they even say yes? Because if they can't say yes, they're probably going to just try to ship away at it anyways. And they're always going to say no, no matter what, right? Uh, we, we deal with that all the time where it's like, you know, a total disagreement. They don't really care what we're demoing. You can't do it. Trust me. We know we've been doing this for 40 years. And then you're you kind of say, well, I've done it. So, and I'm not <laughs> special. It is, I always deal with that with integrations. It's always, you, you can't do it because nobody could do it. And I'm like, well, to the contrary, uh, um, you know, I'm not special. There's others that do it as well. So, uh, you know, so that, that, like, that is definitely, um, that makes it very difficult. So if I get past those two questions myself and I say, this person definitely could say yes. And, um, you know, they're, they're just trying to, they're just trying to maybe dig into it. I could actually just reverse asking the question, then what data have you seen mm. before we go any further? I don't want to try to prove that my product could solve something because there's nothing in, in what you're telling me, there's nothing that I could solve. 
So mind sharing where your data came from. And we could just call a call right now and do a follow-up. Like I've done that like three or four times and like two of the times I've done the deal. Um, wow. Still took longer than, it still took longer than the normal deal. Um, Cause there was a lot of like block and tackle trying to, you know, still go back up the river. We're always starting at square A, right? Until we get to a certain point. And the few times that I've done it or some of our salespeople have gone down that road with a potential customer. Um, it's worked and it's actually given us a better relationship. Not that we were trying to prove them wrong. They may have had data that was somewhat different than ours. And we just compare it together. We say, okay, show it to me. Or they well, sometimes it happens is they were, they saw data about something else and thought it was the same thing, Yeah, but it was like totally different research, right? Like not even the same. You're probably not even in healthcare. It's probably like in the automobile industry. Or something. So yeah. it actually happened one time. So I love that because it leads me to my next question. You just enterprise sales in general, B2B kind of sales, the sales cycle can be incredibly long at times yeah. and you can have false starts and feel like you're almost there and then it stalls out. And, uh, it's just really interesting. So sure. What have you found to shorten that? You know, you mentioned two, or at least one great piece of advice right there, asking the question, are you even the person to make the decision? Realizing yeah, you might yeah. be wasting your time talking to the wrong person. Have you found anything else that's just helped that process be any smoother? I mean, I think, uh, like, and this is like this in any industry, that, you know, di different departments or different people within companies or even just individual to individual, they they, they buy your product for different reasons, right? Um, and and so that's, that's definitely something you have to like do some, in like, you know, detailed gathering on, I would say, and it's all internal. It's definitely crowdsourced internally at your company. Um, but we even, we would do this in our CRM and, and we use pipe drive. So we actually have like data fields that on prospects, when we find out, you know, that the chief nursing officer at this health system gave us these reasons why they really weren't that interested in, then we just compare it to the type of health system. And we say, maybe that's not the right route in, but we've done deals through the chief nursing officer office. So it, it should have worked, but there's not like any one size fits all here. So, you know, I would say also be open to multiple types of buyers, right? I think too many times I hear people say, well, our buyer is the CFO. I'm like, that's great because they write the check. <laughs> um, and maybe they are because a lot of times if you, especially if you save money to the organization, that's a great route in because the CFO wants to save money. Um, but there's a practical use. If you have a platform, they have this, there's a user that buys it. Maybe they're, maybe they're not the full stakeholder, but, but they could cripple your entire implementation because they're the user that's actually going to have to use this. Then you should probably be selling to them too and find a route to get everybody on board or as many people as you can. So, um, I try to find as many ways in and not, not trying to be overly optimistic. And then we narrow, like we have four routes into any health system like that are four bread and butter. We know that we could go in with, you know, three different talking points in each one, not all being the same types of talking points. And we have, you know, 70% hit rate. So we're like, let's, let's go. Um, and then we at least have something that we could possibly do a deal on. That's, that's really impressive. That's why yeah. I'm staying on this topic. I can tell that you, you all have gotten good at this. Uh, <laughs> it, one of the, uh, you might be so good at this. You never get this, but the painful experience I've experienced, I know others have experienced is, I call it getting ghosted where <laughs> you've like, you've gotten the conversation really far, you know, and yeah. 
you're you're into the final moments of either closing the deal or getting a first try of a product or something like that and then they just go dark you, sure no response to email no you don't know what's happened i just literally saw somebody make a video about this and they said when you get ghosted by a potential prospect you start having ping pong in your brain it feels like a girl that won't call you back and you're just trying to figure out what happened where did i go wrong yeah and i'm just curious like in your experience how do you think about it? And then also, what do you do? You know, some people will say, man, that you keep following up, you be persistent. Others say, hey, something's going on, respect it, but circle back six months later, you know, like put sure. on a nurture campaign. There's all these different kinds of things. And I'm just curious for you, if you ever get ghosted, how do you guys I mean, think about that? You know, first, never think it cannot happen to you even when you've been selling for years, right? You know, I've sold enterprise sales for uh, 13 years now or so and that's people have sold for 25 and plus right never think it can't happen to you because like anytime you do that you're you're already not doing you're not you're not performing at the level you should mm. because you're going to get ghosted no matter there's it's going to happen every year like i don't have a salesperson that doesn't happen to um and i would say a read into the situation to find out if you you are just getting blown off but you know, 50% of time, you probably, you might be, they don't know how to say no to you. So they're just kind of, you know, that could just be the nature of the person you're dealing with, right? They mm. don't, but then I would say that's probably a no, or it's a no for now until I find another person that, that I can get on board. Right. And there's a few routes you could use to try to like, you know, roll around that person. And then it's kind of like, well, if somebody else is already is interested in the same organization. And this is assuming it's a bigger group. Um, and they get interested and then they start to rise, then they'll actually reach out to, you know, whoever that person that goes to you. So that's like one route. Um, but it does happen. Um, I would say sometimes it's like, you know, and this is because of what's happened over the last two years, it's out of your control. It's, they are interested. They don't want the door to shut on them, yeah. but they're, they can't you know, go yet. like we deal with EDs, like we deal with chief nursing officers. We deal with the urgent care. When COVID came out, came into play, I mean, urgent cares were closed. Like I had investors who were like, you should be going, you know, maybe we, because we did, we did like a trial scenario where we let you try it for free um, just to manage the COVID patients. And it was like, well, they did all the furloughs. There was nobody even answer the phone for us. Right. So it was kind of like, it didn't matter. It was free. It was too hard to do because there was, there was skeleton staff. And so, but we also knew that we had plenty of customers who didn't turn off, still paid us, still kept going. Um, and we just kind of used our time to kind of, you know, um, help society in any way we, we could without making any noise. Cause I didn't want any, oh, look at what we're doing. I too many companies were doing that. Um, and it was just noise because there were really only a few people professionally that were dealing with the crisis firsthand. And those are the people we needed, we needed to like help the most. And we were none of us were them. So uh, yeah. unless you were out there at, you know, a nurse in the, in the ED, then no, I don't want to hear it. And so, um, yeah, I mean that, you know, you just kind of like have to read the situation and know why they've ghosted you. So based on what you're saying, I'm curious to try this out with my team. Do you think it's appropriate if you think there might be a possibility they don't know how to say no? for you just to give them that option? Like, let's say you haven't heard back yeah. from in several exchanges where you email back and just say, hey, if the answer is no, and you just don't know how to tell us, just tell us, you know? Yeah. Like, do you give yeah. them some way just to be able to say? Yeah, like, I give them the out, yeah. always. Give them the out. I mean, uh, you know, A, it could be give them the out, or B, depending on the situation, you could ask like, 
were, were you not, the, you liked us, but we, you weren't the right person. Cause like, maybe they really liked what you did. Like we had a scenario where that was the case. I kept telling the salesperson, you know, cause we, we do our standups every, every day, but every Friday we do like a big one. And this deal kept coming out it was a bigger deal. It was a bigger deal. Um, and I kept questioning our manager. like, I'm, I'm don't know if that's the right person, but anybody could be the right person. And, and it came out, it was the wrong person. I mean, we are now doing the deal, which is great. It was like, but we wasted six months on the wrong person. The good news was once we took it off of their decision plate, because remember that's their career, right? Depending on where these people work, if they make a wrong decision, they could be fired. Like you see this all the time in the EHR world right. where, you know, the CTO, CIO, whoever makes this massive decision to bring in this billion dollar project, right? To change over EHRs. And then it ends up costing the company like, you know, 40% more than what was quoted. And, you know, people lose their jobs over that. And so if you came in and then all of a sudden you created like a security nightmare, whoever brought you in probably not going to be there very long. And so you got to think about them as well. Right. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's cultural, like depending on what part of the country they are, maybe they're just too friendly and they just don't know how to say no. And maybe they're overly aggressive and they're going to say no, but they really mean yes. They just want to see, play a game to see if you'll come right back, uh, which totally completely happens. I'm like, wait, you're saying no, but you know, it confused, but you just kind of <laughs> let them feel like they won. And then, uh, you know, by a mistake or something. So. Oh man, that, <laughs> while <we> were, <laughs> that both the scenarios have happened. So you and I, or at least I'm from the South, you are, you're yeah. you claim the South now being in the, in Florida. Yeah. Um, but I've noticed that with companies I deal with in the South, they are so nice sometimes that they won't be clear on their no. And then I have right. actually a really great client of ours now out from the West Coast. I did an initial thing for them. Like, hey, let me come out. Let me talk to all your leaders and your team. If they like me, we'll move forward. You know, that kind of thing. He's like, great. So we do it. I'm doing the follow-up with him. How did it go? What's the feedback? He ripped me to shreds on stuff that wasn't even like really <laughs> true. Like he was like, you didn't do this. I was like, I, I did. Like, you know, I mean, he, he literally said, I wish you had stopped and like asked, took questions. I was like, I did. And I, I gave the example of the people that asked questions and what I told him. Right. So anyways, oh he was God. just picking me apart. And I was like, this is terrible. He does not want to work with me. So at the end yeah. I said, so is it fair to say that this did not go well? And we're, you know, you don't want to move forward. And he's like, no, they loved it. We definitely want to work together. And yeah. I was like, what? What like, just happened? Well, I, I called my partner after. I was like, I don't understand what conversation I just had. All yeah. indications were this guy does not like me. He is, he's like harping on these minor things. And then he's like, of course we want to do it. Yeah. I wish we'd done it like starting last week. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> those, are the, I, those are very difficult <sighs> because it, it's like, it, it's not a Jedi mind trick either. Um, I, and I, we've actually recently had one just like that. We were, I, I, told my the, the salesperson just close it lost and sell in pipe drive like it's over yeah two days later we got an email with a, like with their their red lines on a, on the, on our template like it wasn't even like here's a contract it was like these are what our what our ba looks like whatever and then the red lines come through and i and i like questioned even like did i not understand something like clearly we were told uh why the change of heart and it wasn't it was you know, know what that person's got. That's actually a really good lesson for any salesperson, um, especially enterprise. Um, Cause it's, you know, any sales boot camp or whatever will tell you that sales is people, right? You're, they don't really just buy the product, they buy from the person. That's 
um, for true for the most part. Um, um, but also know the person who's the buyer, right? When they're making decisions for an organization, there's still an individual who could be having a bad day um, or could have something else in their plate that in that moment was actually more, more of a priority that has no decision that needs to be made. It's just work that has to be done. Mm-hmm. And you just happen to have that demo at that time that was the wrong time. Um, but they heard all the things they wanted to hear. And when they were finally able to clear their head, they then said, all right, let's, let's get the ball moving. Um, so that's why like, I don't look at every bat hard conversation as like it was bad. Some of them are absolutely. Um, sometimes it's just situational. Like they're just not their day, man. Yeah. And um, it's how you end it. Like, don't get frazzled. Like too many people take it personal. I never take it. Like, it's like one of the things I tell my salespeople, like, you know, especially if they go to a deal that they either they live locally in or they're renting a car when they get off the airport. Um, do not rent a Beamer. Like, don't show up in the nicest car ever. Like, keep it very generic, man. Like, you got to kind of look like you're trying to make the deal happen. Sometimes that works. The whole, like, you know, have the nicest car and right. it shows success. And that, I get that maybe if you're a realtor, that makes sense. Um, but in this, it's kind of like show your show what you know what you're doing. Don't show that you're willing to spend all the money on some shiny tool. And um, it, it tends to work. You're kind of matching your... I did it. I'd made that exact mistake. It's, it's like, I remember running, it was back in like 2010, maybe. And we were going to an urgent, I don't know, urgent care group, or it was my previous life. It was like maybe a GYN group and, uh, you know, midsize. And I'd rented, I'd flown in, rented, rented a, uh, a, a Dodge Challenger. Yes. <laughs> um, it just come out. It was like the Hellcat version at like yeah. Hertz or something. And I was like, give me that car. And there, because I was only there for like one night, so like give it to me, and I and I get it, and I roll in like Dukes of Hazard up into this group, and I mean like the eyes rolled when before I even walked in, and like the deal, I, I just knew that there was no interest in that deal, like I could have showed them the most amazing, and I did, I showed them something that they signed up for like a year later, but like not for me, um, I was already, you know, I already had they wrote you off, that whatever judgment totally wrote me off, yeah, judgment was bad, and I was like that was definitely the impression I gave them, you know, good suit came in like that. So now I, everything's like generic. I mean, nothing sloppy, nothing over the top, just kind of stay in the middle, you know, no $40,000 watches. Like, let's just keep it chill guys. Like, I like that you're, you're in software, show them, so- show them something's going to save them money. Yeah. Not something that's going to put more money in your pocket, like, like a lot. So yeah, um, oh, that's smart. that works sometimes. So I like that. I like that. All right. So one, thank you for, I haven't gone yeah that deep in the sales conversation yet. And I'm glad I did that with you. I had an instinct that you would have a lot good. of good wisdom and you did. Cool. Um, so on this part of the conversation, you know, we asked you ahead of the podcast, what are you yeah. currently, what are you currently passionate about or, or uh, excited to, to think more about or talk more about that could influence how we grow our business or even how we kind of accelerate our, our personal growth? Um, I mean, you know, it's like kind of, it's one of, it's actually more of a tech, a tech scenario that we're seeing play out a lot. And, um, I've been kind of like turned off by, you know, this heavy tech world for the past few years. Um, and so like, and it's not just how we operate our business today. It's how we think about every project that we take on. Um, it's, I call it like the no tech tech, right. Um, so it's using, you know, uh, we, cause we're a, we're a JavaScript environment. It's using like a PWA format or, or structure to be able to build your technology. And you have less lines of code, a lot less structure, 
but you build things that are easy to deploy. They come out fast and there, you don't need the app stores for it. Um, and they solve something for people, right? There's a lot less, you know, bloat in there. There's, you know, not this whole process to get people to use. You don't even need to really train them if you don't need to. Um, and if, if something that you're trying to solve, like one of the features is, which is solving this small problem, if it doesn't need to have, you know, if it just could be a script that could solve it, then do it. You know, you'll find a way to monetize it, right? Um, by way of your subscription. But if it's something that doesn't need to be shown on the dashboard or, you know, physically written out, that is huge. And like, we just don't see a lot of that in tech. I mean, the PWA conversation is getting bigger. Um, and what is just, the PWA? It stands for progressive web app. So it's, you don't have to build a, a native app for your, your, the iPhone and Android, and then have to maintain all those different databases and structures. You just build a web application either in Chrome or whatever. Um, and then you roll it out through the internet as opposed to stores. And whenever you do an update, the one update that you need to do, it updates for everything. So like we could make, we could change things on the fly and it updates for everybody. It doesn't have to be this long drawn out process. And we, millions of people have used our platform in, in a given year. And so there's no problems with, with that. And so, you know, I know that there's all this, you know, talk of web three and this has nothing to do with web three, but I think this is like kind of the bridge into that. It's less tech that solves bigger issues with a lot less actual tech being, being built. Um, and so I'm actually, we're super passionate about that here. We have been for a while, um, Ragu and I have been, it's a decision we actually made years ago. And even in the midst of it, I think people were kind of confused. Like, why are you doing this? Like not being on the app stores is whatever. And it started to, it's finally like the legs are there. We talk more about it and it's just a new way of building technology. It's still lean. It's nothing's changing the methodology. It's just like, you don't need as much code. You don't need all this junk that you don't really need. Um, and so I do know the, the biggest downside of it is it's hard to, uh, justify to a potential customer sometimes how to pay for it because they're they're visually seeing results. They don't visually see a screen that shows you how to get those results. Um, but there's a whole lot less to set up. So then therefore you can actually charge them less and still make more money, the whole thing. And so we just want to like push that out to the ethos. Hopefully that more companies start thinking that way because I just think we get better product. Yeah. I mean, as a, as a methodology or as an overarching kind of way of thinking about it, I 100% agree. I don't know enough about your world to even be dangerous in this conversation. Yeah. So what I can tell though, by the conversation that is contrarian, right? That you're thinking right. about this differently, that there's a flow going this way and you're seeing it's helpful to either divert or go against that flow in some meaningful ways. Sure. What is the predominant like resistance to that? Like why would someone go the other way that it seems to have fat in it or bloat, I think was the word you use it. Yeah, bloat, yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's just the, the, it's you know, the other way is, you know, what we traditionally see, um, you can still build it lean, you know, using lean methodologies that has nothing to do with that. Um, but it's uh, the other way is you, you could visibly see something uh, for every feature, right? Like, you, you know, like you, you have a tab here that tells you that this feature is working and like that is a pointless function or like the apps, if you're, if your company or software doesn't need to have an app, don't build an app, right? Like, cause, cause you could build an app and, and have a bad experience because Android and your iOS is better and, and so on and so forth. And literally I've seen apps on iOS that look 10 times better than their Android version. 
why like why does that like ours just and you might not from, have needed an app in the first place is what you're saying you didn't need one in the first place you'll even see these bigger companies sometimes have these apps in the app store that have been there for 10 years and they have a thousand reviews which means like over 10 years you only had a thousand people review it then you realize nobody really uses the app and you're kind of like why am i here right and so even even the kind of user dynamic is changing going back to search like people are back on google looking there like everything's not happening in these apps, right? I think the app they have is Google or Chrome, right? And so why don't, instead of building all that, and then you really confuse people what you do because you do so many things, um, go the opposite direction, kind of build less. It's, it is a little bit like what you're hearing with Web3, um, which is still very buzzwordy because it's kind of a gray area of what it actually means. Yeah. Because um, it's really supposed to be, you know, decentralized internet and blockchain that then manages the encryptions and so on and so forth. Um, and not having to rely on the, the central DNS, but um, there's a whole nother variation of that. And those are very much built like a PWA, the apps that are kind of being built there, but they're built for different reasons, right? And they're the way they monitor, you know, you know, monetizes through crypto or whatever. And we're not there yet because it's still gray area, right? So like, we don't really know. I'm not even interested in that right now because I don't think I could tell a health system that we're, we're using the blockchain and we're going to be fully decentralized. So, I mean, patient data could be on anybody's phone. Uh, you know, no matter what you tell them, <laughs> yeah. um, it, it's not good. So, uh, you know, maybe we get there one day, who knows? So, I mean, that's and the reason why that's such a big deal is because you then keep keeping the keys to like the kingdom of success in the hands of the companies that are already really big, the ones that are already really big in tech. And I don't hate on them. I think they do a great job, but they keep winning the battle because you're so focused on trying to keep up with them. And if you just, I mean, we, we stayed in our lane for a while. We got a lot of criticism over the way we built our tech. Um, it's now full circle working for us. And it's taken us, taken us, you know, really, really a three solid years to get people to prove it. And during the pandemic, actually, people were like opening their eyes. Yeah. And it was actually because we were able to deploy our platform within weeks, repurposing it and white labeling it for states, whole states to manage COVID vaccines and testing. Um, we did that in three weeks, three to four weeks. And it was because of how we built our tech. Mm. Then it was like, how did you do that so quickly? And we showed them and they were like, how big is the team? And like, you know, it, it was kind of like, we don't know how you're doing this. Not saying, you know, other people haven't done better. I'm sure they have, but in in that lane we were able to help a crisis and not have to take up time because we didn't have time nobody had time nobody had time for that right so heck yeah yeah what i'm hearing is almost a minimalist approach to tech mm -hmm. if i yep. know it's not gonna be a perfect analogy but some some almost essentialism you know greg McEwen or minimalism type thinking of like what really is essential do we really need yeah. all these parts and is it really is more actually better right yeah i mean it's what works too i mean think about I hate to use the analogy of Facebook. I mean, Facebook is always has its up and down. People love it. People hate it. I never hate on it. I don't pat it on the back by any means, but you don't really see a big change in the structure of the software. I mean, visibly, right? And there is plenty of bloat there. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure there is. Um, but I would say users use it. It's They know how to use it and they don't need to change a lot of that. And it's kind of minimalist. I mean, they do have a lot going on there. Um, Google's a lot more minimalist if you look at that, but, uh, you know, I, but when you get and it's, I'm never 
one to say, you know, we're doing, we've always done it for this, you know, all these years. Like I never believe in that model because you could always be disrupted, but it is the model of like, how does the end user feel? I don't care how you do. How does the end, because if they feel good about it, the changes you make don't need to be visible. They could just be some AI. Cause that's the glory. That's the, the beauty of AI. So. Well, it does come back to just kind of an interesting thought experiment. I was doing this the other day. I'd heard several founders on my own podcast talk about an idea like this coming from, hold on, I know how we do it or how most people do it, but then re-looking at it and asking like, what would be the ideal, what would be the ideal mm -hmm. customer experience? What would be the ideal? And they almost come out with fresh eyes and innovation often yeah. pops up, right? And so I was literally just doing this for our business. Like I have not stopped and thought like as a whole, the consulting or coaching, you know, model or whatever, like, how would the ideal thing go? Like, what would be the best possible customer experience? Cause we always just assume whatever we're doing, we're all copying each other, right? Yeah. Like that we're all doing the best thing by our customer or, or creating the best process. And, and that that question I think could lead to some really awesome innovations for businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it just, you got to think outside the box. Yeah. I quit creating boxes too. We create way too many boxes and you get stuck in one and then you're stuck there for too long. Yeah, I heard an uh, interview with Elon Musk re recently that a guy asked him a creative question, you know, like if we ever do make it to Mars, like, you know, what is your hopes for, you know, st how yeah. would the government run or whatever, you know? Uh, and he's like, well, that'll be up to the Martians. That'll be up to the people that are there. But he's, <laughs> which is just hilarious to say that <laughs> that'll be up to the Martians. Yeah, I mean, it is it is hilarious. I mean, like he is one again. I, I mean, I, I would say uh, it's kind of a good example of thinking of the right things, um, obviously love or hate him it doesn't matter yeah. um it's like I when he them. when they were when they were launching tesla like he knew their only way they'd be successful is by having a network now it's definitely boiling the ocean i mean that's one of the exceptions to the rule as from yeah. the earlier part of the conversation easily an exception to the rule however you knew you died the minute nobody could charge their car right and so if you can't leave your town because you're no different than the other 80 mile range cars that are on the road, right? You might as well go back to 80 and become a city car. And so um, very much that. And so it's hard to sell people on that dream. And you knew what would make it successful. Yeah. And um, he is a good example of that, right? Well, the, so, the, part and, said in yeah. that, the part he said in that story that I thought was interesting was when he answered just his opinions, if they were to start a new government or whatever, he yeah. said, I wish we could start from scratch. I wish we would build something into the constitution that had a way of getting rid of old laws. Yeah. And I just thought that was, because oh, yeah. he talked about coding. He, he, he yeah. likened it to coding that like you have to go back and review and say, which of these no longer make sense and how do we clear them out of the system? And he said, we don't do that yeah. with laws. We have laws that made sense at one point, but the culture has changed or civilization has changed. And now that law doesn't make any sense. And so he said, it should be harder to pass a law then it should be to get rid of one that yep. like, and that, it was just an interesting concept that I thought also applied to product design and all sorts of things. Absolutely. Like, Actually, that's a really good analogy. I mean, how often do you, you know, replace engineered work that you did years ago with something new? You don't keep the old and make it too hard to get rid of it. Yep. Right. You, you move on. And, um, I mean, we have laws, just stuff in the constitution that like, you know, back when they were writing it, life was so different. Completely. And it's 2022, man. Like we're really talking about that still today. And, and the fact that it's still there and I get it. Who's reading it every day thinking we should get rid of stuff. 
I mean, there are people now because now we are all abreast that this happens. I don't think there's enough people, but it shouldn't even be hard. It's like, well, that doesn't even pertain because we don't sell ice in a van anymore. Like right. we sell it, you make it at home and you refrigerate. Like it just, we, life is different. Um, he is, that shot, is a really good analogy. He put a shot clock on it, which I thought was the interesting idea. He said, each law should be automatically after X amount of years, automatically deleted unless voted to continue. So you have to like yeah. show, you have to show active, like active voting that you want that to still be a law. And if no yeah. one does and it's forgotten about, then it's literally just deleted. And I was like, oh, yeah. that is amazing. Yeah. Well, think about it. Like we could be on Mars and then all of a sudden in 20 years, everybody has only one ear left. And so we don't need to have, you know, two AirPods for my thing. And I mean, like you don't yeah. know what you're going to be like in that time frame. And um, maybe it's really more or less up for review up for to review. be deleted. Like you got a week, you get like a month and you're like, well, we don't do that anymore. All right, delete it. And then it's over. Like you're done. We don't need that yep. law. We don't need that rule. It's over. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, that's a great idea. I think we, we hold on to the past way too much. And then we bring it up as if it's relevant today. Like a weapon. And I, exactly. And I just, I just, you, I, whenever I hear stuff, whatever be political or even like, business or whatever and it's stuff that happened or that the strategies of the 1800s and i'd sit there and say uh-huh yep that <laughs> makes no sense like i have no clue why we're even talking about this right now but it's still the law so i guess that's what we're gonna live like for a moment so that's right <laughs> yeah we should all think about that <laughs> thanks for going on that fun adventure with me we're gonna now yeah. get to our lightning round questions we'll stay in kind of this fun quick um out of the box kind of thinking. Well, first couple of questions are normal, but you'll hear that. Yeah. So five questions we've asked every founder, starting with question number one. If you could ingrain one message into your entire team, your organization, think of it like a billboard that they would walk by every day and read it and it sinks in a little deeper. What would that message be that you'd want really embodied by them? Uh, you know, I would just say integrity. Um, I mean, I think it's, probably one of the more important, um, you know, ideologies to have, um, even because when things get hard, if you don't have any integrity, right. And it's not just integrity in your business, your every life, it is about like the things that you care most about. Um, and it could be different than what things I care about. Uh, but just, I, I would say if my team could have, have that in their everyday life, not just their work life, um, then, you know, when things get hard, they get through it quickly or they just get through it. Let's not necessarily say everything's quickly. Um, and it's actually, it makes you feel better. Um, and so it, it helps build positivity. So I think that's, that's, you know, very important that I'd want to see my like team it. just own. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number two is a two part question. So, okay. uh, what's the best advice you've gotten about growing your business and what was the worst advice and either could be directly passed on to you or just stuff that you've you've heard and either chose to accept or reject has been helpful or, or not, or not helpful. Um, it's kind of, so it's like it's a little bit of oxymoron, I would say on these two, because they're very associated to raising money. Um, but, um, I guess the best was to know when to walk away from raising money, right. Or, or the, the round you're in or the amount of money you're raising, maybe you don't need as much. Um, our current company is a little, is a lot more fiscally responsible than my previous companies. Um, nothing different really is just, you know, that, that it just made more sense, um, here. And I think sometimes we raise money just to raise money. Um, and so then I, I would say that that was like kind of the best advice. And then, um, uh, I would say kind of the, the worst advice, which 
it's not necessarily worse, but it's just something I try to not always say just, just to raise money when you don't need it. Um, it's, it's good advice, right? Cause when you don't need it, but you know, you're going to need it, you raise it because it's, you have more confidence. You, you could negotiate it's a lot easier. Um, but it's also addictive. And so I think it's, it puts us in the two different categories. Either we become overvalued where then you're, you're going to never get out of the bag in two years when you really need to get out of the bag. Um, and everybody gets very upset or, you know, things happen, you're not there, whatever. Um, um, so I think there's, there's that aspect of it. You could be overvalued, um, or you just raise way too much money in general. You're, you're just, you just screwed yourself. And so I would say kind of like it, it, it definitely is something good. If you know, you're going to need in six months and you don't need it today, you start raising now, you know, you can have more confidence because you don't need it tomorrow. Um, but it's bad because it just becomes so addictive. And then you're, you're kind of, you know, you're you get scared for every day after you raise that money. Totally makes sense. Okay. Question number three, what currently causes you the most stress or worry as the leader of your organization? Um, I mean, everything, uh, I think the biggest thing, um, because I, I, you know, I, I took it, not as advice, but you know, years ago, I read this thing about this, uh, CEO in Ohio, Bob Chapman's his name. I know he wrote a book. He's amazing. Um, he looked at his employees as a heart count, not a head count. And when 08 happened in 09, you know, they didn't lay really anybody off. They just, those who could take no money for two months did, and it worked out and people love it's a manufacturing company, nothing sex, sexier, exciting, right? Um, definitely exciting. It's probably definitely some really cool things they manufacture, but, um, and so I've always kind of taken that to heart. Like I look at the, the team and it's like, you're not just, you're gonna be a part of the family, like I'm Italian, so everything's uh, the family. Um, and so I definitely look at it like that. So when we hire people, we, we really put our time into hiring them. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's that's very important to to me as, as and that's what keeps me up is making sure that everybody's, you know, it's, especially with us having, um, you know, full-time employees who live in Ukraine, right? We think, I think about their lives. I could tell us about the work they're putting out, you know? And then the fact that they literally write us an, an email after they do a bug fix, because they're like, well, when this is over, I need to have a job. I, I just like, you know, the amount of work ethic that you meet, you're just like, well, this is why we get up every day. Right. Um, it stinks what they're going through, but you know, we, I think about their families, it's so important. And that's what really, that, that keeps me up more than, and that's why I don't want to see customers unhappy. We want to get more deals done so that we can have more people, part of the family, you know, and then everybody's taken care of. So that's, that's pretty important. So that's well said. And at least speaking for myself, I know, your team that's in Ukraine will be in my thoughts and, and prayers, man. That's yeah. Yeah, yeah, thanks. It's intense. Um, okay, so number four, we're gonna go to the future a little bit. Cool. What's the big audacious hope, dream, goal, however you want to think about it, for vision for this company? Uh, yeah, I mean, so our our biggest um, kind of like futuristic uh, uh, thought process is kind of being that, and I hate to use buzzwords, but. Um, I think it's easier because people understand sometimes, um, but actually being the full front door for sick care. So sick care in general. So um, it's not just about accessing all of healthcare, um, but I think, you know, it, it actually is a way to wellness. Um, people, people still get sick, right? So if we could help people just make better decisions, it's better for the patient. It's better for the insurance companies. It's better for the hospitals. Um, and, but that does mean sometimes people do need to go to the ER or the urgent care. Right. It doesn't always mean telehealth will always solve the solution because 
they may get better for the next two weeks, but there, there could be something that we're missing in their diagnosis because they didn't run a lab test or whatever. So um, yeah, if we could be, you know, kind of the thought leader on that and, and help all aspects of it up front as, as the initial decision, that's really where we want to be in the next, you know, five, five, six years. Um, and I think now we're finally, you know, after now COVID's kind of more manageable. Now we're, we're, we're back on track to doing that. So we're, we're not like full two years behind. I think we're a year behind, but you know, I'll, I'll take a year. Uh, it's not a big deal. So super cool. And before we get to our final question, I want to make sure I ask you for those listening that want to use your product and service, where should I send them? Uh, just go to quickercare.com. Um, only use it if you're sick. Don't just use us for fun. Um, you just put in your symptoms and it'll geolocate you and tell you where to go. Perfect. All right. Number five this is our creative question. So if you could, we call it back to the future. If you could hop into a DeLorean, you get yeah. to go back to your past and you get to deliver a message to a younger version of yourself. When would you go back in your past and what message of wisdom or insight or whatever would you pass along to that younger version of you? Um, I think for me, I'd probably go back to like probably the 10 year old me in a way. Um, I mean, I started creating things in software when I was like, you know, 13, 14, that's when I started. Um, and I didn't really have access to a computer. Like I didn't have that. Uh, I know it's crazy to say, but, um, for anybody who wasn't born in the eighties, uh, probably later than that, you're like, everybody had a computer, like we didn't, um, <laughs> I had to go to the school library and do that. Um, but I've learned C++ from a book in a library. Um, and so, um, I would go back to like that 10 year old me and say, start now. Um, because I'd started projects when I was like 13, 14, I was building wow. stuff. Um, I'd even build stuff for like, you know, the local plumber or whatever, nothing to talk about now. But, um, if I had started a little bit sooner, I think I would have been able to kind of like, you know, be a little further ahead, um, than I, than I was. And then maybe made a better college decision. Right. I think we, we all got put in that box of like, go to college, do this. And like, my thing was to be a doctor. And so I was on the road to doing it. And then after college, I said no to med school and then or left med school. And then, um, I think I would have I don't say that was a waste of time. I definitely learned a lot of great things. I appreciate it because I paid for my own school. Um, but I would say that I would have done it differently. I would have started focusing on being an entrepreneur right away. Because um, I'd already kind of been one in high school, but I think I would have like embraced it much better. And then going into college, I just would, that's would have been me all the way. So that's probably would have been it because I'd have been able to start faster, I think. And uh, um, I think I could help more people then at that point because I would have had that, that steam. So... Beautiful. Well, Alex, thank you for your time today, your story, your wisdom, your perspective. I've learned a ton. I know our audience has as well, and I really appreciate you coming on here today. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.